Hello everyone, my name is Paul Third, that's Ed Thorne, and this week we are blessed to have Tura Medina on the show. Now for anybody who doesn't know, Tura is a Latin Grammy winner, he has over a billion streams for his mixes and masters, and it pains me to say it, Ed's going to be very happy. He's also a drummer as well, ladies and gentlemen. God, fucking drummers, I always feel like it's drummers that we've got on all the time. <laughs> But look, this man has a wealth, a wealth of knowledge. I was very, very lucky to meet this man um, in LA when we were at NAM, And even just like the hour that was spent, I just took nuggets, nuggets of information. Tura, can you please tell us a little bit about your journey, kind of how you got into the business and kind of how you basically kind of managed to get yourself a career mixing and mastering professionally? Sure. Yeah, it was a long ride. I'm 50 already, so I've been around for for a while already. So I started uh, studying music like uh, I started when I was five years old, studying violin at the conservatory. Then uh, when I was like 13, I changed to another career as a drummer. And um, when I got the time to go to university, I was asked by my my mother's like, are you going to study music again? <laughs> it's like, so I said, no, I'm going to study uh, sound engineering. So it's all different, you know? So I, I, I went to the um, sound engineering school at, in my country, in Chile. I'm, I'm born there. And yeah, and I, I did a career as a, as a musician. I was playing from professionally when, when I was like 13, 14 years old. And I then when, when I, I finished studying, when I, I probably when I was in the middle of, of studying engineering, um, I started doing some albums and recording and like spent time in, at studio. So I, I got to know the, the, the good thing and the bad thing of the music industry. And uh, but, but my main thing was me as a musician. So I played with a lot of artists and bands and stuff like super famous. And I toured around the world for, for 10 years plus, plus 10 years. But always I was... Uh, working on the side by uh, like mixing, mastering, producing, mostly producing more, more than that. And mixing, mixing was my, my, you know, my hobby. Mm-hmm. Like I love to mix and was super, super fun. When I had time, I said to my, my, my colleagues, band colleagues, uh, bandmates, I can, I can mix your stuff, you know? So I got, I got to learn the skills. And at the same time, I was building a career because I, I was totally sure about what's going to happen when you when you're a drummer and you get 40 years old nobody's going to call you again <laughs> you know so so i was preparing myself to to the, the 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 change when i when i got around 40 so that what 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 happened you know like i i did i did the two careers for let's say 10 years and then i swapped to the full time mixing and mastering and was it the that's mainly was it your network that kind of was the main thing that helped you out because obviously you knew so many people in the community like already was that kind of the thing that kind of really helped that transition a little bit i think the the most the probably the the best thing for the transition was to get to understand the business you know Mm -hmm. because then I, i i i changed from i used to live in chile the that beginning, and then I move around. I lived in France, in Monaco. I lived in Cuba for three years. I, then I lived in Miami. Then I went back to Chile. 
Then I, I went to Mexico. I lived in Mexico for 10 years. And then uh, I moved here. And I've been here for 12 years already. So you can imagine that that meeting a lot of people make, makes you a lot of like, like a lot of clients. But that is not the, the, the best way to describe it, you mm. know, because uh, it's, it's the way you uh, how you understand the business. And then because you, you if you move around, you get to know new people every time. Mm. But you, you already know your skills and how to sell yourself, you know, mm -hmm. as a mixer. So to get clients and stuff. So I think mainly, of course, meeting people, it helps a lot. But mainly it's knowing the business. It's knowing how it works or what the clients are expecting from you. So that's that's my selling point. Yeah. What interests me is because me and Ed have never like kind of mixed like a, a Latin song like, are there any, like, requirements, like, for the genre? Do, do you find that um, you have to kind of take a different approach when mixing Latin music as opposed to other genres? Yeah, well, I think today, yes. Before, it was kind of the same. But today, with, with the reggaeton thing, the urban Latin music, it's more, like, like super rhythmic-oriented, and, uh, and they pay a lot of attention on the rhythmic side of it and the low end. Uh, so yeah, you need to you need to learn how they are the way they're expecting to to listen to the stuff. It took me a a, a while to understand f mainly for the reggaeton at the beginning when I started. Uh, I tried to mix like I used to mix like everything and and they was the the clients were they were saying like nah, yeah kind of <laughs> kind you're of. close but not that <laughs> you know and it yeah it took it took me a while. But probably a year it's mixing a lot, a lot, a lot, and then and that I got to understand what because they they like different stuff, you know. Let's say they like distorted stuff, and uh, <laughs> of course I, I came from purist sound engineering style style, and uh, like like it's it's not allowed, you know, mm -hmm. to get distorted stuff. <laughs> so I I got to understand how to introduce the thing and get a happy a happy medium. Between them and, and my taste. How much of that is distortion versus clipping? But there's a there's a little bit of clipping. But I'm thinking of eight to eight to eight kind of samples like yeah. You get a lot of that heavy. Yeah, but there's something there's something happening in the in the in the mid frequencies when you when you distort stuff that a it doesn't sound good when you when you add the the. I know standard clip, and if you add a little bit, you get you get to listen a little bit of of clipping in the, in the top end and the low end, but when you go a little bit too high, it, it start to crapping out in the middle, mm. and and that that's not nice, you know, because it messes around with all the information that is going through in that in mm. that zone. So that's that's why it's hard. I, so I get to it. Always happened to me. I put a lot of uh, clip, uh, clipping uh, plugins. And then I remove them because I, I don't like them. Uh, during these years, I've been putting them, removing them. And I remember they, these guys, they like this thing. So I add it again and I start to EQing, you know, a little bit uh, where to distort the thing. So I, it, it's happening more these days for me. It's like, I, I think I got to understand how, how, how works fine, but it's hard, you know. It's hard because you're 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 messing with clipping or yeah. with with distorting. You know? Now, what I find interesting was that you'll remember this. Uh, I think you will. When we had a conversation about saturation, when we were at Nam, mm -hmm. 
and we talked about odd and even saturation. Now, would you be able yeah. to tell like people watching and listening the importance of understanding the tonal differences of odd and even harmonics? Like why many people find, you know, odd harmonics to say be more musical and I think, you know, some people I know class, you know, even harmonics to be I don't know. So some people say cold. I don't know if that's the right term, but yeah, could you explain to kind yeah. of the people like how you see saturation? Well, from from the engineering point, it's maybe I'm not that good explaining. I can probably explain it better from the musician yeah, yeah. point because I, I'm always looking for musical stuff. You know, mm. it happened to me a lot with the converters. You know, converters. It's I think it's the same at the end. Converters or or preamps or whatever piece of gear that you're using. It's all about harmonics. Mm-hmm. One type is the, the it's more uh, even on the harmonics and one other pieces are way much better on the, in the odds. And there's people, they like the different harmonics. Mm. I, I've been, I, I know a lot of people, they, 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 they love odds. I love more even, you know, because it sounds different. I don't know if you want me to go like super engineering stuff. Let's do like, it, man. Like, like you are in the right place. Yeah. Let's go geeky. Let's, <laughs> Let's go <do> geeky. <laughs> Yeah, because I, of course, as I told you before, my English is not that good. So I, I have sometimes think it take me a while to to find the the words. But anyways, the thing is with the odd harmonics, the tone resonates uh, in a in a pleasant way because it's the the it's it's the the double of the harmonic. Yeah. It's just the double. It's it's the way it's the it's the frequency that is ringing usually. The cheapest gear, it had more like odds, right? Okay, harmonics, you know. So that's why they don't sound that good. And usually, the the good transformers, and the expensive ones, they take more time. They they spend more time building this stuff in a better way. So when they when they really well build. Uh, they they sound way much better, and the much better it's it sounds with more even harmonics. Right. Okay. You know, so it's it's more pleasant to the ear. So would you say that you do more even harmonics when you're adding in saturation? Is that something that you are taking into consideration? Even like when you're buying gear, you'll always kind of try and look. I mean, do you test? I try, of course, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. No, I test and I, I test and I listen. And uh, of course, I have a lot of people there. They that <laughs> they think that I'm crazy, and um, and we have a lot of fights about this <laughs> this thing. But you know what? Well, that's uh, that's that's life. You know, we are like we're humans. But it happens the same with the interface for me. You know, it happened to me. There are some interfaces who are, like super famous, and they sound odd. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and there's other interfaces that sound even to me, and they're good. Both are good, but you get to choose the one that that it sounds more musical to you. During the years, I tried to be more musician than engineer. Yeah. You know, because when you're too engineer, you try to you're always trying to dissect everything and try to find why this and why that and a lot of stuff, and then you get to lose the idea of what sounds good mm-hmm. i think that's something that i've been struggling with a lot i've had many people kind of comment about that my mixes sound like i overthink 
And I think it's like people are kind of sometimes thinking that I think that much that I kind of lose the overall feel of the song. Um, but do you think that comes from being a musician and obviously like ev- everything about being being a musician is emotion and feel. So as, how do you manage to constantly be able to focus on the feel? Is that something that's easy for you or is it something sometimes you find that you might tend to start overthinking things a bit or is it you quite fortunate that you just are always thinking about the song kind of the whole kind of picture yeah that's a great question i i always try to be in the musical side of it you know when i start mixing i i do it the fastest that i can that i can so i don't lose perspective i try to find where musically things are heading and then once i figure it out i i left the project you know i try like not not to mess around and just do some tweakings. When I get too like brainy is when the client it's looking for something they don't know. Right. And then I had to figure it out and then I had to spend time like overthinking why is it happened to me like two days ago I'm mixing this song, this uh super famous artist, but they don't they don't like it. They don't they don't like the because they don't understand how to explain me what they want. Right. So yeah. I did the Number ten, master. <laughs> okay. It's crazy. It's it. It happened to me like three times in my life, you know. But it's okay. I understand. I understand that sometimes this. Well, the the first time it happened to me, I won a Grammy. So <laughs> it's okay to it's okay to do ten revisions, you know. Because sometimes getting so picky is really good. Mm. Sometimes really bad. It depends on the artist and the producer and all that stuff. So they sent me this. Uh, this song from all other artists, that's a different song, and they wanted to sound like this, uh, this thing in the top end of that song. So I had to be like, put the song on it and uh, uh, mid side and listen just to the side and and write it down what's going on with the rivers and all the stuff in the on the sides and then check the middle information and then uh, try to replicate the the top end of the thing. So. I think now it's working. Sometimes you have to go super engineering. Sometimes you go, yeah, like super musical. Have you found there were any benefits of being a musician that have helped you as a mix engineer? 100%. Not being a musician, it's it's hard. Because you, when you're a musician, it's because you were trained to be a, to understand music and to listen to music. So you need to be able to identify if it's a wrong note in the, in the chord or... Oh, I know something is ringing, and if you're not trained to pick up some frequencies and notes, it's gonna be super hard for you. So I'm not saying that you can't, mm-hmm. but it's gonna be hard. So how do you Helpful. start the mix? Do you start with like the the foundations? You would say start like with the rhythm section, and then work your way around that. Is that like how you would do it to kind of stay with the feel? And kind of like stay with the music and, and keep the song. Yeah, great question. Um, it depends on the music, of course. If it's uh, let's say vocals and uh, strings, I'm gonna start with vocals, of course. But if it's uh, like a reggaeton or like a hip hop, or I'm gonna start with the 808 probably. Mm. But then I'm gonna jump to to the vocals, you know. So if I if I do let's say reggaeton, I do kick and snare first just to set up the bass and then I go to the vocals 
and I adjust vocals first because I have a fresh ear in the in that part of the you know the range the 3k 4k that that you really need to be like super aware of what's going on and then I start building up around and carving up to to leave the space of the of the vocals but of course the first thing that I do is I I I put all fades up and I listen to a song or I listen to the reference song that artist sent me to check out what's going on and and then I do this you know what about low end because this is something that um <laughs> me and Ed always so when you're kind of at the kind of where me and Ed are it almost feels like it's a never ending battle um to get your low end right and it seems like even the top top engineers are always like kind of battling with low end um how what do you do is there anything in particular that you do that not that techniques because like what works for one person won't work for another in one genre. Again, there's no such thing as mm. rules. But is there anything that you found helpful in your journey when it comes to low end um, that has kind of helped you that you think could maybe help other people listening? Absolutely. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I've been dealing with this for 30 years, <laughs> like like everybody. But I think I, I, I got to understand what's going on in your brain when, 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 when we, we go through that, you know, like... First, you need to choose who is going to live in the lower and the bottom of the everything. If going to be your kick or it's going to be your your base. That's the first first thing that you need to solve in your mind. If we're talking about like like regular modern pop music like urban, reggaeton, hip hop, mm. R&B, whatever, probably uh, the base is going to be in the low end, you know. Mm. And, uh, and a little bit higher is going to be the kick. I used to cut a lot of 20, let's talk about the bass, 20, 30, 40. Mm-hmm. It depends on the, the bass. Uh, but now about the, you know, it's about trying to avoid the facing thing. So I'm not trying to cut everything. Yeah. I'm just trying to like turning down a little bit the 20, 30. And, but I, I, I give it back when I, in the master, I always give the, 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 I know two, three, or four, or five dBs that I, I took it down in the mix. I, I, I give it back on the mastering, mm-hmm. you know. So I try to balance stuff. That's one thing. Uh, other thing, uh, there's of course there's a huge uh, war, and who sounds best in in the, <laughs> in, in the low end yeah. side in the reggaeton. So, so we had to went to a lot, a lot of stuff like trying different stuff, like adding room to the sub bass, oh, okay. and uh, oh, uh, shifting the face of of the you know, and mm-hmm. then adding to a, a a parallel group and add some parallel compression, uh, or cutting the the bass in two parts, like ch- doubling the channel, put one in one channel. Yeah from 60 down and the other from 60 up and you add some uh, distortion to 60 up and in the in the low end you put a, a, a tiny uh, delay 40 milliseconds delay 10% like almost nothing but you making room mm-hmm. you know so then you don't you're not you're not fighting because of the problem is a is a volume mm-hmm. war volume is the pro- the main problem because at the end, if you if you go too too high with the with the volume of the bass, you're not gonna have headroom to to make it sound louder. So that's why you need to move stuff to the back, to the sides. And um, 
I think there's I, I've been listening to a lot of music these days and there's only two ways the 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 guy who makes the bass and the just in the middle like 100% in the middle mm-hmm. and nothing on the sides and the other guy who's making super yeah. wide and nothing on the middle you know and leaving the the middle space more for the for the kick so when you do that you have more space to the kick sits in uh, in the middle with more more low end mm-hmm. So you don't need to cut that higher. If you if you have your bass and your kick in the in the middle, like hundred percent in the middle and nothing on the sides, you're gonna you're gonna need to cut probably the your kick drum is gonna cut it higher so so left more room for the bass. Yeah. You know? If you're moving the bass to the sides, adding some room, put it to the back a little bit, and to the sides you're gonna have more room for your kick. That makes sense. Cause I've I've heard that and I, I know Jason Joshua does it because when we were at mm. Abbey Road um, I think what was it? He it was a waves plugin he used, wasn't it? It was like a spread. I think it was like whatever wave spread plugin it was. And I used a spread one, but this are from BX. Yeah, BX. Uh, yeah, Brainworks. But I've noticed that a lot that a lot of records right here, the bass, you could hear it. It's like uh, yeah, yeah. But is it something where do you widen like the mid range of the bass, or are you say are you talking about widening like the entire bass, even like? The low lows, yeah, right, okay. Well, sometimes it depends on the song, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It depends on the arrangement. If you have space, you can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. The problem is when you have like 70 tracks and and a lot of people living in the same zone, it's, it's hard to manage, you know, because you don't have space to move stuff around. But when you have like a really good arrangement where everybody has their own space, you can do... Whatever you like, and it's it gonna sound good. So, sorry, this is a two-part question that I know Paul's gonna ask. Right. Do you? Uh, but my question is the second part. Do you mix on head more on headphones or speakers? And if you mix on speakers, do you have stereo subwoofers for this kind of discussion? I, yeah, I mix in uh, speakers ninety-nine percent. I don't use headphones, and I have stereo subwoofers, but usually I you I don't use them. Okay. I, I yeah I like just. At the end, I check them just if I'm missing something, but I'm not using through the through the mixing process. And I'm now I'm using a, a, the at the end the same the headphones. Just the last the last pass I put them on if there's a noise that I I didn't listen. But yeah, I try not to use them. You know, I know there's a lot of people that mixing headphones, but I am I'm against that. You know. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no wonder because if, if, if nobody knows, um, Tura's speakers are massive. Your, <laughs> I seen it on Instagram. Lol. Your speakers are gigantic. Was that was it? DJ I, Nelson I that made you those ones. Are those the ones that DJ See, Nelson made, made you? You can you can get to see the new ones. Ah, those are new I'm ones. I'm building these ones. Yeah, yeah I, I'm 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 in the process of uh, tuning them. Right. Those those are gonna be my my brand. Mm-hmm. It's a three it's a three way, but there's a small version of it. It's, they're like this, you know. So I'm mainly mixing on, on on that, and of course I have the the big ones, you know, the Quested uh, for mastering. I use them for mastering, yeah. but I'm trying to mix like this in, in small version. Uh, I think it it it's working way much better for me. So how um, long did it take you till you were happy with you know translation? Because that's again something that me and Ed are constantly battling with is trying to. You know, obviously, it sounds for me headphones. It'll sound great in headphones for Ed on his PSIs. Um, you know, was it something 
that it took you a while till you were like happy with translation on like lots of different systems or is it something that you don't really worry about as much you just kind of get one trusted system that you know inside out and like you just kind of go with that well i think as a as a like regular engineer uh we go through a lot of speakers mm -hmm. so we we try this try that and you get to to choose the one that you they're more comfortable to your ears because everybody listens different mm -hmm. Uh, let's say the ribbon uh, tweeters, I can't handle them. I have, uh, you know, the uh, and the Amadio yeah, yeah, yeah. ones, they yeah. have ribbon, and, and those are really good. But I got tired, like, I, I can listen to them for 10 minutes and I'm done. Right, okay. You know? So, but that's my 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 architecture, you know? That's my con my construction. So, I, 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 I'm, I'm building mines, and those are, like, silk, so... It's a different sound. I don't know. You get to choose the one that it fits your ears. Mm. And then um, you get to, you need to learn your room. Yeah, massively, yeah. Because ma mainly the, probably all the, not all of them, but may maybe I say 80% of the speakers are tuned flat. So not huge differences. There's, there's difference, of course. But not like super huge, like oh wow, bro, this is the I mean, no. It's more like like you get to understand the speakers. Uh, of course, we're talking about good components, good quality speakers, and room because room is everything. Uh, yeah, totally. If you don't know, you you can you can mix in a stadium. <laughs> If you mix every day there, you you're gonna you're gonna be a great engineer. But you have to do it every day yeah. in the same place. So I think that's the that's the secret. How long were you mixing on KRKs for? I mixed on them for years. Mm. I don't know, 10 years? But Can I'm you not... establish which model? Just because there'll be a lot of people thinking, oh, KRK G5 rockets are rubbish. No. But the, uh, is it the 9000s, the G9000s that Spike was mixing on for decades? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm using the V V series, v, V8s. I, I was part of the team of... Um, development of the speakers oh, right, okay. because i'm a KRK artist i worked with them for, for 12 years already so I, wa i was one of the engineers that were trying the speakers and saying ah you can move this and you can move that at the end they come really good it's a really really nice speaker medium price way much better than the competitors in the same range of price of course there's a lot of way much better speakers 100 but of course these these speakers are more more for producers, you know, like they have a little bit more low end, mm -hmm. but they sound really nice. It is a flat curve. Um, they're D-class as every, everything these days, you know, like probably 90% of the speakers are D-class. So there's, there's not, not going to be a huge difference. If you don't have an in-house mastering engineer like we're fortunate enough to have with Marcel at Actu Make with the working audio tools, DistroKid have you covered. For just $99 a year, you can buy unlimited mastering for all of your tracks in tandem with unlimited releases via DistroKid. Mixair from DistroKid uses AI technology to measure the EQ and the dynamics of your track and then present you with numerous options to tweak and customize your master. You can flip between the original and the generic mastered option. Blame it on the whiskey. 
So instantly we can hear that's making the track louder and it's also slightly flattening the EQ, bringing in a little bit more of the mid-range and of course the top end. We can adjust the intensity, which is how much compression and limiting is being applied to the track. Blame it on the only thing you've ever seen Run and tell your mother Blame it on your brother I think somewhere in the middle works for this track. And the EQ options are self-explanatory. We can make the track effectively duller or brighter. Download your mastered track and release it as easily as you do all of your other unlimited uploads. Get 30% off your DistroKid subscription using the Working Audio Tools VIP link below. Now, with, if we're going to talk speakers, we've got to talk Dolby Atmos because I know that you are a Dolby Atmos mixer. Um, is, is it the KRK setup you've got? Or is it a different setup you've got? Yeah, yeah you've got the KRK Dolby setup. Eh? The golden question, and I remember I asked you this. This is before I even was going to <laughs> get my own Atmos set up. Is Atmos here to stay, in your opinion? And if so, like how much work do you realistically get from Atmos? Not like a week, because that can differ, but even just say a, a, in a month, average yeah. month, how much work would you say that you, you get from the Dolby Atmos side? Well, it's getting higher. Right. It's getting higher and higher. Um I, I started with my system um, last year, let's say July or something like that. Uh, so I've been in the game for a year and a half. And uh, the beginning was like one song <laughs> a month. <laughs> okay. And then um, in January, I got a 70 songs oh, right. wow. uh, catalog to mix. Right. So then I, I got another one on, I don't remember, July, August 30. No, 45 songs. So, yeah, it's a. But the thing with Atmos these days is like there's a lot of companies that are changing their catalogs mm. to Atmos. So that's why you get to grab a catalog and you have a lot of work. And there's some artists, probably the main ones, the, the more like famous yeah. ones that are like they're doing the stuff because if it's it's a little bit more expensive, you know, to, to, to spend money in two mixes instead of one. So. Yeah, for some artists, it's a little bit too too much, and they're not doing it. But we're gonna get there mm -hmm. because there's gonna be a lot of catalog already from the companies, from like big the big companies that that you're gonna have everything in Atmos, and uh, they're preparing this stuff for like like cars. Yeah. It's gonna come with Atmos in a couple of years, so probably we're gonna have some radio stations uh, transmitting in Atmos in in the future like five years wow I, I, I don't even know how that's possible <laughs> like I was thinking that somebody, well, somebody asked me that not yet, but yeah but they're, they're, they're changing technology but they're they're preparing the first venue I think it's in, in Las Vegas for live Admos wow so you can play play mm -hmm. with a band in Admos so they're, they're doing it right now 
See, that to me would be an experience. Like that, like surely, like when. Well, that's amazing yeah. because, it, yeah, it's not possible yet, but it's going to be there like soon. Because mm -hmm. I, I spoke with this, uh, I can't say right. the name, but <laughs> I spoke with this guy and he told me about that. This is a secret. <laughs> but see, so yeah, that's the thing, you know, like it's, it's, it's all over the place. If you see Netflix now, they're yeah. transmitting in Dolby Atmos and, and Disney Channel, same. So. It's starting to be everywhere. And of course, as everything, you have to be ready. It's, it's better to be the first instead of being like like running, losing clients, yeah. you know? That's what I was trying to say to Ed, because I think Ed understands it. And I, I remember we spoke to Tim Palmer and he understood it from like a business perspective. But that's how I feel, mm -hmm. because with being in Scotland, again, it's still a country, even, even though it's a small country, um, you know, there's there's... For me, I've got an opportunity, If and I said this to people, that if you're not first, then you're last. So if it does slowly become a thing, then there you hopefully that could be, I could be the guy that's set up, everybody knows that he's got this kind of Atmos facility here. But yeah, it's, I suppose it is just 100%. a waiting game, isn't it? It is just a waiting game. But I don't know, the more, I, the more I've been speaking to people, the more I'm being told that it is slowly becoming more integrated. Um, and I think that's what people forget is that um, like the difference with 5.1 and other setups was that it wasn't fully integratable the way that Dolby Atmos is. So like for anybody that doesn't know that's listening, like a Dolby Atmos file, it could be um, 7.1.4, right? But um, it'll be downmixed to stereo. And then that same, because it's all object based, that same 7.1.4 could then be put in a 5.1, could be 4.1. It's fully interchangeable, mm -hmm. which means that when that file leaves, it could be played on any system, which I'm pretty sure to it. It's the first of its kind, if I'm pretty sure. There's no other kind of file system like that where it adapts to the system that it's it's outputting on. Yeah, and, and we're going to have a lot of... Uh, this is the first one, yeah. or not the first, but probably the most uh, known one. But I just was... I was watching this uh, new M MPEG-H. That's a new version of... Uh, it's not new. It, it has 10 years on the the market, but it's the same as Atmos, but it's the version of um, Nuendo. Right, okay. You know? And PEG-H. So, and it's a Sony 360. Mm -hmm. And there's, a, I don't know, three or four more. So it's been around. It, and, and there's one thing that I said to people like me, you know, like what we were talking about this right now. You 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 want to be the first or the main one in your country. Yeah. It is correct. It's it's like when you when you want to grab a bite, you don't go to the place that you can buy only bites and not not to buy a coke. Mm -hmm. You want to go to the place where you can grab a bite, drink a coke, yeah. or drink a coffee, and a dessert. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm gonna go to you and 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 we get along, and you know you're a great mixer, and I want to work with you, probably gonna I'm gonna stay with you for for mixing, mastering, atmos, and yeah, editing, point. and everything. You know. Because it's that that's the way life works, mm -hmm. you know. When you when you when you I don't know, same as the store, the restaurant that you go, you're gonna go. You want to go there because they have everything and everything is good. That's really, really no. But I think you that's know? the first time anybody's ever really said that to me, and I've never thought about it because we. I speak to many people like yourself who do mastering on top, and I always wondered why do these people do mastering and stuff like that on top. But it's, it's absolutely true that if an artist really likes you and they trust your ear. Then if you can mm -hmm. obviously get good at mixing first and then you could add something like mastering and then also add Atmos, then you can get like the full catalogue, which again helps 
you out from a business perspective yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, things are cha- things things they change from the past. It, like they used to be. I I was in that industry in that industry before. You mm-hmm. know, I was in the industry where we 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 didn't have internet, so everything was like calling the phone, and was a like a like an industry. You know, you go like recording and you send it to. The guy who makes it, you send it to who makes yeah. it, you send it to the plant. They they build a CD or the album or the vinyl, whatever. It was a industry line. We don't have that anymore in any. You know, the people who who make content online, they do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of people they're doing everything great, really good. So why you had to go through a lot of people? You can do that. I'm I'm totally up to. But I, I, in in my point of view, I think it's way much better that you when you when you make a, I know a bound with someone, mm-hmm. and uh, and they can talk to you. I'm, my my clients they they call me by video, or whatever. It's like, can you move this stuff a little bit? Yeah, sure. I open the session and move a little bit. Like, what what do you need? I don't do I don't do the like yeah three revisions and that's it. I don't do yeah. that. You know, I I I make a bound with my with my artists and. And I go out and we we grab a dinner and we talk about the project. We like we, ah yeah, I want this and want that. I, I I ask a lot of questions. I get to understand the artist, and then I say, okay, uh, I charge it this, and this includes I deliver when you're happy. If you want to ask me like ten revisions, let's do it. Yeah, you know because because you're not getting what you need, and and that's the thing. You know, people want to spend money. And things they really, really like, no, not things that are, they're okay, yeah, or things that like other people say, yeah, the A and R say this great, this guy is great, and uh, that's it. I'm not like that. No, I agree with you because I think that one thing I've always thought about this modern industry a little bit is that sometimes the downside with it being online is that it's very impersonal. You know, people don't you don't really have a chat with. The client, like I speak to certain people that like mix like online and stuff, and they'll say, "Yeah, I'll just get somebody will email me, or I'll I'll be through my website, and it'll just be like, yeah, right, song to mix. Here's a rough. Then I'll just be like through email and stuff like that, and I send it away. And it's it's a bit, it's not fast food, you know what I mean? But it's very impersonal. And you know, the, there you and go. The, and, yeah, the, and the top engineers I speak to always say to me, Paul, I've always got a relationship. I always try and create a bond or some form of relationship because if you create that bond then they will come back and I think we learned this from Streaky and MSM as well that no matter where you are in this industry your people skills always have to be as good as your mixing skills I think many people get in the notion of you've got to be the best mixer in the world where if you you could be the best mixer in the world but if your people skills are shit then you'll be sitting there thinking I'm amazing it's going to be harder Yeah. yeah, well, it's the same as that. You you don't change doctor. Yeah, that's true. If you don't, you know, when you feel good with your doctor, you don't change them. You know, and and it's everything. Everything is the same. And when you when you find a perfect restaurant, you go there every time. And when you find a your 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 loved one, your your partner, you don't you you don't change them. You stay there because you like them. You know, you feel good about it. And it's the same. And every relationship is the same. So you need to build a relationship around, and then the complicity in in between. It's the worth. It's worth. Yeah, I know it's, what you mean. And you know the, the the relation is it's it's the more valuable thing 
you know yeah i know what you mean making uh something together mu- musically talking yeah, you it's know? a bond and uh, do you also it's yeah. a bond yeah yeah do you also find that when you strike up that relationship if you kind of go through maybe a period where you send them say like not a, a mix that's maybe not to their liking uh, you don't really have that kind of worry of you know clashing heads and being like oh yeah you're shit this that that yeah, and yeah. you could no, it is. It, it's good to to you treat me as uh, a thought that sometimes you don't have a good day as a mixer, mm-hmm. and sometimes you do some crappy stuff, mm-hmm. and you send it over, and when you have a relationship with your client, they're gonna say, "Really? <laughs> Are you sending me this? Do it better." Right. You know, when you don't have a relation, they're gonna say, "Oh, okay, okay, okay," and they're not gonna call yeah, you anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. It's a great See? point. And uh, we are humans. We have some good days and some bad days. Yep. You know, it happened to me. It happened to me. I've listened to my my work, and in I don't know twenty years, I've been doing a couple of crappy stuff. <laughs> you know, what can I do? It's like it's it's relationships. You know, you're human. And how did the Sean Paul gig come up? Because I noticed that you you done a Sean Paul mix. How did that come up? That was crazy because I, I was a fan. Yeah. So when they come, it's like. We're gonna do this with Shampoo's like <laughs> I can't believe it. And, and I and I raised the, the fader with the with the vocals like oh my god, oh my god. He was like, hey, oh my god, I can't believe it. <laughs> I get to listen in solo. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Cool. Yeah. Super fun, super fun. Yeah, it's it's great to have great great artists and you know. I decided to spend my, my life in this thing because I uh, really love artist and greatness of the music mm-hmm. so i really enjoy mixing stuff with great musicians great artists that's my motive that's the thing that it moves me mm-hmm. you know it's not about the money of course <laughs> because you know we're not we're, we're not rich yeah. you know and it's it's because of that so when i when i have sometimes you have the opportunity to work with your heroes or people you love you love and that's the yeah. yeah, we're doing it good. So how does that kind of differ from when you have to work with A&Rs? Because I know that's something that you know many people in the industry have to deal with, where sometimes you'll deal with the artist, but sometimes it'll kind of be more the A&R. I've always wondered how different it is to try and you know have, keep an A&R person happy as opposed to being able to have that relationship with the artist. Is that like a struggle? Is it like how is that to kind of deal with? Yeah, good. Really good question. It it happened to me before. It was hard at the beginning, but that, then I changed. Right. I said, okay, I'm not gonna fight with anyone, and I'm gonna I'm gonna invite them to be part of the to you know the chain. So I asked them, do you feel happy about it? You like this thing? Uh, like I tried to make a bond, mm-hmm. same as before with the artist. You know, it's like. Because they sometimes they they are uncomfortable in the middle. They don't want to be yeah. there, but that's their job. So sometimes there's some, someone that they they'll tell me, "Yeah, do whatever you want," and I don't know. And there's other guys that they want to know you have to do this and you have to do that. It's like, okay, okay, no problem. I'll do I do it. I have to tell you, maybe the thing that you're asking me is not the best for the project, but I'm gonna do it the way you're saying. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know, there's a, I don't know, there's another door in the side that you can use whenever you want, but I'm going to go through the way you're asking. 
And then, and when you when you put the seed on it, and then yep. goes through on in, in time, and they get to ah yeah maybe maybe we can try the way you said before, and there you go. A lot of psychology. Say, oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, of course, hundred percent. And the same with the artist, you know, artist gonna say yeah, put this uh crazy river <laughs> on the main vocal, and put me on the back so nobody can understand the lyrics, and I say. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we're thinking. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I do that stuff. And I, and I, I know it's not going to work. So I do the thing. I'm going to send it over and, and, and with a call. I already sent you the version that you asked me. But I think it doesn't sound that good, you know. Maybe we can make it better. And I'm sure you want it better. Oh, yeah, you're right. Then, then of course. And then they listen to it. So, next day, yeah, I yeah. am. Remove the river is crazy. <laughs> it, uh, so, yeah, uh, you have to work around. It's a lot of psycho- psychology in a, in in our job. How do you find uh, managing the balance between taking a fixed fee for mixing a track versus asking for and commanding points on um, the mechanical side of it, percentage royalties? Because I feel like the mixing stage is, mastering is important, don't get me wrong, but the mixing stage is taking someone's track and making it come alive. And the amount of bands and artists that have produced seminal albums, and I'm thinking of uh, Oasis is definitely Maybe and um, Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, they were mixed a couple of times, well, a couple of times in Oasis's sense and once, before um, the Nirvana album came out and because they weren't right but those albums could have come out on, under those previous mix revisions and they may not have been as impactful but the mix was then changed and imp- taken in a different direction maybe not improved but taken in a direction that really served the songs better and those became you know legendary albums now is a straight fee of like I don't know I'm just going to pick a number $500 a track for something that can last and endure history for decades, that doesn't seem a proportional payment for such a vast, long, impactful, long-lasting, impactful service. So, you know, you don't you don't need to go into numbers, obviously, but you know, how common is it at your level in the industry that people are commanding percentages on the mechanical royalties, or who's just you know, are people just taking fees and? Happy mm-hmm. to go away with it. Great topic. Hard to go through because it's, uh, I think, same as before, it's changing. I think before you, you didn't have, in those days, Oasis and all that stuff, you didn't have the get to choose if you can yeah. get some points in the master because the, the company is going to say, of course, no. Like, you want to charge like, like 2K, 5K for the mixing, go for it. If you're great, they're going to pay you. But you're not gonna get like any percentage. At least you're like super extra famous, and uh, probably you're gonna get like one point or something like that. In the past, today, there's a bunch of new artists. They don't have budget for mixing, so they get to to manage the you know the thing offering you percentage, and and you can I don't know, accept that and work with that. It depends on the artist. I think today it's more easy to. To find a happy medium. Uh, and the mixing side, in my case, I work 
with the, with a fee. I charge a fee, and um, that's it. I don't want to go through all the crazy stuff because what what's going ma mainly what happens with the the artists. Well, I work mostly with the known artists. No, I have probably eighty percent like more. I know known artists than in the other twenty percent like more indie mm -hmm. and new artists. So probably with the indie ones, I work sometimes with percentage and stuff. With the other guys, that they don't want to give you a percentage, they just want to say like, "How much you charge?" And I'm going to pay you. That's it. And if you say no, they're going to find someone who, who does yeah. the, the yeah. work for the for the fee. And it's and it's the same for the guitar player, you know, or the drummer, because there's a lot of songs that you remember because of. <laughs> you know yeah. I say that and you know which song I'm talking about mm. so probably that guy deserves more money than the guy who did a mix I don't know yeah that's a complicated debate it's, it's hard it's, I, I've had it already where I've been offered a dismal fee for a track but 3% on the mechanical uh, side of it but then it's a risk, we're talking it? about it's a streaming risk. so mechanicals are yeah mechanicals are largely yeah but mechanicals are, they're not only streaming it could be a lot of money because if if they go through like a license yeah, in yeah, a yeah. in a hollywood movie yep. you're going to get a lot of money you know oh yeah. or in radio there's there's some countries that are still paying good money for radio uh, or tv or i don't know licensing in a show in a netflix series whatever it's money and it's money forever. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it is. It is. But I mean, the 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 kind of artists that are, that are wanting to pay forward with royalties, knowing full well that, that they might give you three percent of a pie that makes no money ever. And it's <laughs> and, kind and, of yeah, a, in that case, it's, of course, it's a bit of a bargaining tool, isn't it? Between like, well, I want to pay you, you know, what's going to be way, way, way less than minimum wage for you to do this mix. No, no, I don't, I don't do that. If I do that, I want to ask for 25%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, I, if you're a starting artist and you want me in your track and you don't have money, probably going to ask for 25 or maybe more. Yeah. So I understand how the big guys who know the songs are going to be a billion streams, you know, by the end of the year. Well, yeah. yeah, that's uh, different. They're going to give you, right, well, we can pay you five grand, but you ain't getting anything after that. We're keeping it all. I get that. It's just the, the polar opposites of the industry and how people who can saturate the market with music don't want to pay for it because a lot of it's going to go nowhere like the other 100,000 songs that go up to Spotify every day including podcasts that number is it, they can throw away percentages and it, there's no it doesn't cost them anything it just gets them a service done yeah I know you're thinking on the totally what right. if what if this goes on TikTok mm. but the good thing is it just Spotify changed the thing they're not going to get paid they're not going to pay people before the thousand listens mm. so it's hard but it's good for us, you know. Yeah. Because because then there're gonna be a lot of people. They're gonna they're not gonna do stuff, or they're gonna stop trying to do stuff. And it, and it's gonna be more room for people that that really wanted to do like a, a proper way to. I know. You say you say that, but I I don't think it'll be the case. I mean, I, I've heard recently people producing thirty-one second tracks, including thirty-one second tracks of silence. Yeah. And they're just getting people to leave it on. Overnight. Yeah, no, but there's uh, a there's a lot of uh, now are the these computers they detect all the stuff and they removing yeah. it stuff. So yeah, it, it always gonna happen that when you invent some trick, someone's gonna find a way yeah. to discover your trick. It's yeah. that's life. You know. So talking about tricks, yeah. right? Let's get back to mixing. So mix bus 
it's very sacred for for many mm. people. For some, it's not. For some, it is. Um, do you believe in the top-down approach? Um, and how sacred is your mix bus? Do you do lots of processing on the mix bus, or are you very sparse? Or do you kind of do most of your work on the track, and maybe just a little bit of subtle compression on the end? Did you have any tricks on the mix bus, or is it, or is it sacred? I always have tricks. Like everybody has tricks, <laughs> and nobody's gonna <laughs> tell you the tricks. No, no. Uh, I don't do tricks. I, it's, it's easy. I I manage my mix bus as a mastering right. bus. So I don't do mix bus. Mm-hmm. I mix everything. When I finished, I put up some uh, mastering st- stuff. Yeah. Mostly e- EQs. You know, I put a I put a, a fab filter removing. 20 down, 20 up in linear mode. Then I add uh, probably one dB in in the mid side, like in, in like in, or in one K around that. Half of the B because I'm always lacking of that yeah. because I know I know my my ears, you know, I know my my room. It always happened that something I'm missing half of the B or one dB around the mid side, and um, and then sometimes. I use a um, spread thing, you know, like a little bit, spread a little yeah. bit of stuff to the sides. Sometimes it depends on the music. I realize that uh, urban music, they don't like opening stuff. Oh, really? Well, they like it quite like like narrow. And like, yeah. yeah, they want tight stuff. Right, okay. They're super tight. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Then I put another EQ, probably adding some top end, like 1dB in 24, mm. a limiter. Yeah, L2. Or if I need more, like I need more and more, more volume. They're asking for more, so I, I do two or three limiters. But I have my outboard gear, so sometimes I add, I have a Tegler. Right. You know, yeah, Tegler, yeah, yeah. the cream? Yep, yep, yep. Creamer, yeah. Yeah, but it happens the same. It's sometimes the urban guys, they don't like them much, the, the, the tube sound. Right, okay. You know, they like the tightness of the digital thing. So, or sometimes I use an MS. I have the, the Origin, the SSL Origin. Mm-hmm. And I use the MS mode, and I and I use the the tailor for the sides. Right. Okay. So I get to I get to thicken the the sides. Yeah, yeah. And more tight in the middle. I know it depends on the, the song, but I I don't go crazy and I don't go that far, you know. And compression sometimes I use compression if they're asking. I like I really want more like picking in minus six. Yeah. I use compression. And how loud normally is the Latin scene? I mean, is it is it is there, I mean, I suppose there's loud minus eight. Right. Okay, that's pretty good. Eight, that's good. eight or seven. Right. Eight so we're not seven. talking yeah. like stupid levels that we see, like minus six, minus five, and EDM stuff, where it's like super, super, super. I I don't want to go yeah, there. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I don't want to go there. But and sometimes they add uh, they they want minus six, and I had to go there. It's like. Are you sure? <laughs> the psychology. And again. I ask the, the same question like, like five times. Are you sure? <laughs> What's your sweet spot? What is your comfortable sweet spot? Have you had to pick like a comfortable sweet spot for like limiting and, and loudness? The the audio starts to kind of become. It's not making it better. It's making it worse. Some people say around minus ten. Some say minus eleven. Some say minus eight and a half. Ten. Ten. Yeah, that's what I would agree. Minus I ten. Agree. Minus ten. You can. You can. Make the the low end breathe. Yeah, totally. I agree. That's the that's the one that it suffers. You yep. know, when you go too high, the the low end is like uh, super tight and uncomfortable. You're trying to fit something that it doesn't fit. Yep. 
like president. I know. No, yeah, ten is okay. But if, if you go too low, it's it gonna sound so different in Spotify. So you need to stay around minus nine. Yeah, yeah. Because it no, if not, it's gonna like I don't crazy. Because uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with Spotify. The way they convert stuff and they 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 tamp the volume yeah. down because it's not it's not like the 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 full package. It's they go by range. Yeah, I know what you, you mean. Know? They they listen the probably probably I think the the theory that I've listened to it's that it is around one k and four k. Mm. So the volume that's going on in that range is the one it's gonna tell Spotify if they're gonna put down or put up the the song. Mm -hmm. It's not the full range of everything, yeah. so that's why there's there's song they they're sent in a minus I don't know eight and they sound louder than the one sent minus twelve yeah. and they say that you have to send it like lower. We're gonna it's because of that because of the, it's the range of where, where it's working the now in regards to loudness, what is your kind of key things that you do? to make sure that when you are having to hit like minus nine, minus eight, that again, your low end's intact and you can push into the limiter or the compression or whatever you're using, but everything still stays intact. Like, what do you do to ensure that you could get that loudness uh, kind of without degradation? EQing. EQing is everything, you know? The apparent loudness, it's the most important thing, you know, like... Working around 3K, 3, 3, the 3500, that, that area is the, that's the key. Right, okay. It has to sound loud, but sweet. Yeah. That's why it's so important to have a really good EQ. Because probably 90% or 95% of the EQ that we have in plugins, when you start cranking up on the 3500, they're going to sound really bad. Right, okay. There, if you have a, I don't know, a external analog piece of gear, Probably in that area is going to sound way way much better than a regular plugin. So that's the area you have to work around. You know, vocals and some guitars, snare. If you make it happen there, it's going to be way much easier. So then you can reach whatever. You can go minus five. Do you sometimes just okay. solo that band and kind of just like take it and Used yeah, to. Okay. Used to many years before. Okay. Not anymore. Because I, I got to understand yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how to... How to do it? Of course, I'm not uh, like uh, the best. You know, I'm I'm always trying, like mm -hmm. everybody. You know, I'm, sometimes I it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's it's some there's some tracks there. The arrangement is not good, and uh, those are impossible to to get to the volume without you know losing a lot of information. That's something I'm gonna have because, to do because know what. I've, that's something that I've always heard the mid ranges because the magic is in the mid range and stuff like that. But um, I've actually never ever thought about just kind of taking that element of the mid range of the mix and listening to it kind of in isolation to kind of hear if it is too harsh, if it's the balance of it. Um, is that something that you do, Ed? Um, like take certain parts of the song and split it into the low end, the mid range, maybe the high end, just so you can kind of focus on. Yeah. It's something I check. Uh, I don't remember every mix, but um, like I haven't done for the last couple <laughs> um, on on the podcast. But uh, the next one for next week, um, I have where uh, I use Listen Hub 
from Sonox where you can solo the low frequencies, which is below 60. Sorry, the sub frequencies below 60, the lows, which I think is 60 to 200, and then the mids, which low mids, which is 200 to 800 or something, and then the higher mids, like 800 to 5K, and then the top end. And mm. uh, you can isolate why, where th- if, if things are in those frequency bands that shouldn't be, and you can go back in and think, okay, well, why is the snare drum in the sub region? It shouldn't be because I've filtered it <laughs> twice, but somehow it's still coming in. Maybe find the source. Is it a reverb? What is it? Um, and then also that plugin enables you to mono stuff and then just hear the sides, yeah. which on speakers is so weird when you just engage the sides. But It's okay to do that, but it's not okay to do right, that. Right, okay. Because at the end it's music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you start doing that, it's your overthinking. Yeah, which or is me, me thinking, me <laughs> automatically going, yes, okay, what overthinking yeah. can I do in the next mix? <laughs> now, yeah, so sometimes it's like, just listen, you know? find an, a different spot in your room, move, I don't know, two, three feet away or to the side, listen with a, with a, a different approach and, and listen to the music. It's, it's, sometimes you get to, oh, wow, I didn't notice that guitar was too loud. Mm. Because I was sitting five hours in the same spot, you know? And so, or I, I used to do that before in the other studio that I had. I used to, like, when I finished the thing, I went to the other room and sit in the in the, in, in the sofa that I have in the other room. And if the, if the bass, it doesn't want, like, sounding there, there was something wrong, yeah. you know? Because I, I, I got to understand how it works. So, you know, it's, it's, it's music, we don't have to forget that it's music mm. and we have to spend time listening to the music. And if it feels right or feels wrong. How do you deal with music being so subjective as is mixing, getting feedback from clients? Uh, for example, Paul and I both give each other feedback on mixes and we get feedback from people in the comments and mm-hmm. we get feedback from people that we work with. But it's all so subjective. How do you trust your or develop a trust for your own taste that your taste is right and desirable and is going to keep clients you know i back. think that's <laughs> the best question ever i think that's the the key of the success in this mixing stuff you know is because i don't use my taste <laughs> yeah that's the thing i i try to emulate the taste of my client and the only way to know that it's Spending time with the client, talking with them or with her, asking a little question, send me the music that you listen to, send me the songs that you really like the, the way they sound so I dis- dissect the stuff and I get to make a map of the brain of my client. Then when I, when I get the map, it's easy for me to, to mix because I'm always thinking, oh, th- th- she's going to like it. You know, he's gonna like this. This, I know. I, I, I had this conversation with the, with this client. It's been my client for twenty years already. And uh, he sent me the last song, and I put the, the guitars like probably for a regular engineer, it would be like three or four dB loud, no. like for a regular person. And I sent it over, and he and he said, "Man, I love the guitars. <laughs> They're amazing." <laughs> Yeah, I know you. You know, I know you're gonna ask for that. So I, I just shortened the, the path, and I did it before you asked me. You know, because I know you like guitars like super extra loud. That if I'm gonna do it for myself, I'm not gonna do it. You know, but if I do it for them, I'm gonna follow the thing. So 
that's that's my 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 goal too. It's always like what the client wants. I know I I don't follow my rules. That's the best advice, is it? Ed? Because that when I do that, I'm always wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah. really, when we think about the serbins, that's and why the, it's a great yeah, question. Because when we think about the serbins and the spikes and stuff like that, and you're always like, yeah, they must be doing something. They must be doing something. But I was listening to four or five spike stent records today. And I was like, wow, that sounds different. Okay, that sounds way different to that record that he done. And when with you saying <laughs> yes. that, it's because he's mirroring what they're wanting. He's like, right, I'm going to be the vessel that you're going to use to get what the song that you, the sound that you've got in your head. Exactly. So he's not really okay. He's got his own methods of doing things, but it's merely to get to the artist's destination. And that's what the yeah. the reference track that it helps a lot too, you know. Because when the producer is already spent, I know, two weeks or maybe a month with the artist, and they send you a reference track, ah, this uh, pretty much there, yeah. you know. They're 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 waiting you to to put it on a different level to fix t- stuff that are not working properly, but they don't want you to be like super creative and adding a lot of crazy stuff. No, just just do it better than what they had. So reference track. Main thing, mm. yeah. Paul. I think you should tell everyone what your little experiment today with yeah, because uh, I'll get your um, thoughts on this tour, right? So, we were playing a bit with ozone eleven recently. Now I know a lot of people use ozone. Now what I found interesting was I got four spike mixes and I got three serbin mixes, and I downloaded them. Oh, and I paid for them, by the way, for anybody that asks, right? I paid for them. Just if anybody's watched my yeah. most recent video, I fuck. You heard it there I first. I fucking Paul paid for them, right? Was only, <laughs> he's paying. He's paying. Pound each as well, bastards. Right. So I stuck them into ozone, and amazingly, the corrections that it was kind of advising was like really a lot. And I was like, "This is Serbin. This is Spike. This is like it's probably mastered by some of the best in the game." And it's like these big, massive adjustments, and in most cases, I was wanting to always add a low, like a low shelf around like thirty, and then like a then a high shelf, um, and it was always adding in the same fucking modules. That's that's just the ozone but default. What, what I found interesting <laughs> was that um, many people trust ozone and like AI and stuff like that, and they would look at that and go, "Oh, my mix must be, oh, there must be something wrong with my mix." And I was looking at that going, yeah. wow, no, this is Serbin, <laughs> this is Spike. And honestly, there was one, I think it was um, Unholy uh, from Sam Smith. It was the Serbin mix. And the, wow, what they wanted to change to that mix was a lot. And I was like, holy shit. I think it was like they wanted to take out low end and they wanted to take, they had like a big pump in the in the low mids. And then I think they wanted to add a crap ton of high end. And the Taylor Swift one, they wanted to add in as much as three to four dB in the top end. I have a lot of thoughts about that thing. Just the disclaimer. Even Servan can have a bad yeah. day. St- starting from there, I love him. Let Let's be clear. You know that I I love the their work. It's it's amazing. Everything's great. But if you see, probably, I don't know it's a huge percentage of the industry as plugging stuff. They're they're making stuff for people they don't they don't know how mm-hmm. to make it happen. You know, they're from from starting you know, engineers or wannabe engineers. You know, there's a lot of like every company is throw, throwing stuff with two buttons. Yeah. You know, just move one thing. Well, ah, it sounds good. There you go. It's a good thing, 
sometimes because you spend more time in the music side, so you don't care that much. But it's a bad thing because it's you can do it way much better if you have the the tools and you know how yeah, to absolutely. use them. That thing for the for the ozone, uh, the automatic mm-hmm. thing, it's an automatic thing. It's like it's helping you when you don't know how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a I don't know it's a kind of a ruler, a medium happy size yeah. for for everybody, and you can use it. Ahora, if if you are um, a professional a mix engineer mastering, you're not going to use that thing, yeah. or you're yeah. going to use it in a in a in a way that is not supposed to. You know, like maybe you you say, oh, this thing can add this one dB of stuff that I'm missing, and I know I can I can get there with this plugin. But you understand it, and you understand. Of you, yeah. can, you can. Use it, what I always say to add a lot yeah, is but, that but, it's. Um, it's not letting the tool be in charge of you. You're always in charge of the tool. You're always the person behind the wheel. Exactly. That's the main thing. That's where people exactly. forget about AI they want. So it's a good tool. Yeah. It's a great tool, but it's not for the things that we are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I use it as a reference. So if I'm like three hours into a mix, I'll have a look at it and it'll come up with maybe an EQ curve. I mean, it's never come up with more than two 2 dB of EQ in, in an area and then I've gone and thought okay well I always back that off to at least half of what it suggests because <laughs> yeah. I think it does overdo it a lot but it's, and it's usually it's, it's like, in the ballpark yeah. and then I listen to some reference tracks and think okay how does my track list compare to those tracks and I focus on the areas that it's highlighted and I think okay well, between this track and the master track that I know and like what is my mix missing something in those areas or is that is it too hot in those areas and then can i go into the mix and and but but i use it i don't use it in terms of it's the be all and end all i just go all uh use it as a reference and think okay well do i need to go into the yeah. mix and add some more mid-range or take away some harshness or kind of use it as a reference tool rather than a this is categorically wrong shit i'm well may, maybe mixing yeah I'm may, maybe works down. for you Maybe it works for you yeah. because it's, uh, it depends on your personality. If you put the seed of, ah, maybe I'm I'm done. I'm gonna spend another day if I'm sure That's what I'm. That's a very what good I'm, point. Yeah. yeah, if I'm sure I'm, I'm doing this great because I believe in my skills and my ears. I don't want nobody and nothing to tell me maybe you're doing it wrong. Yeah, no. That's a good point. That's a great point. <laughs> you know? I love that. Yeah. 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 So it's it's it, I'm insist. It's a great tool. For someone that is not like a professional mix engineer, yep. amazing, lovely, great. It it teach you, it teach you. But when you're not and you're you've been there and you're mixed five hundred songs already, you believe me, you don't need that. Mm. You just yeah, need I mean, the I feedback of your five hundred songs yet. So, uh, I'm not <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So you, the feedback that you it's important. The feedback is, is uh, from your artist main the first mm. one. And the other feedback is the results of the song, you yeah. know, uh, how it went the song. And then, then you can, you know, make your math. And that's why, like, Servant, can you imagine Servant going through a song <laughs> to check if the mix is okay? <laughs> of course not, because we are using his songs to check if our mixes yeah, are totally. okay. So, 
and and he has great mixes and he has like not that great mixes. Yeah, and I think that's what's important. That's why I try and because say to people is that like we're all human and even the best engineers in the world are all human. Right? There's no there's nothing they don't have super and it, superhuman. And it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. They're not superhuman. And it's okay to say I'm sorry, I was wrong. It happened to me many times. They say, you know that I know the that bass sounds weird. And I, the the next day I listened to it's like was I know plus four dBs. And it's why like I know. I wasn't listening yesterday. I'm sorry. I called the client. I'm sorry, I had a bad day. Yeah. I'm gonna fix it right now, I'm gonna send it over. And I fixed the stuff. Oh yeah, now it's perfect. Yeah, there you go. It's like For me though, it's a good feedback tool to really learn uh, A my new speakers and uh, I've just got Trinov, which I'm getting used to, but also really understanding how filtering in the low end can affect the frequencies in the higher ranges and that's something i'm really starting to observe and i need to understand a, a more thoroughly i think on my journey for improvement so that's that's what i'm absolutely absolutely yeah that's a, that's super important bass is everything so, yeah. because your your brain it covers the part that that, that not listening you know it's ima- imagine imagining stuff yeah, the perception. So you need yeah. to uh, psychoacoustics. Psychoacoustics. That's a, yeah. that's a term. Psychoacoustics. You need to, you, and you you need to have it in like right next to your mouse. You have to have the book of uh, <laughs> psychoacoustics yeah. always. You know, because it's always it's always there, yeah. and it's the same as the bad day, uh, good day that we're talking about before. It's it's totally related to psychoacoustics. Mm-hmm. I know what I think it's important because it, uh, to remind everybody and everybody mm-hmm. watching and listening to this is that like I know and I, I know it's hard when like you're listening to again, you could be listening to Tura's repertoire and you're like, Fuck man, this guy sounds fucking amazing, right? And you're like, Oh my god, I'm never gonna sound like that. Unreal. But it's like it's so important to remember as Tura said that like even this man, right again, Latin Grammy winner, right? He has bad days and, and the best spike will have good days and bad days and i think that's what people struggle with trying to get into this industry is that every mix has got to be spikes serving their best mixes you know what i mean and the thing is though spikes bad days still a fuckload yeah, better totally, than my yes, good day. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe 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 for you but but maybe for the other artists it's not like that yeah, that's a great point you know yeah. those artists they're gonna they're gonna find your your or gonna find your music Way much better than the servants yeah. ones. So that's the thing. It's Everything is relative. And at the end, we don't have to forget that it's music. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing is the artist has to be happy. Yeah, big thing. You that's know? what I try and say to if people. If the artist is yeah. happy, everything's everything's going on. Because there's a lot of crappy songs, like, sounding really bad. They're huge songs. And people remember for years and years. And nobody cares who makes that stuff. Yeah, I know. You know? We are important, but we're not that yeah, important. That's a good, yeah. It's know? always the artist. And I think that's <laughs> so, what I try. I think that's what's difficult with this podcast is because me and Ed don't have the artist, we are mixing multi-tracks from like Produce Like a Pro and stuff. So the feedback we get is never from the artist. It's from other engineers who have their own ears and of their own tastes. And it just... Mu- of course, and everybody's yeah. going to have a word for that. You know, if you send me <sighs> stuff and then... Please give me your feedback. I'm going to analyze that thing. Yeah, you are. You, maybe you have a little bit too much of 320, and then you your top end is like, pfft. yeah. Who cares? You know, if your artist is happy with 100%. it, there you go. You don't need the feedback of nobody. Hundred percent. 
know what again know what Tura thank you so much for coming on this is definitely up there as one of the best interviews we've had you know I was a fan of yours I, I was a fan of your channel that we met before because the information that you you're throwing out is really really good stuff I appreciate you know? that so please keep going and uh, I know Ed before and in other uh, videos too so I know you guys are, are, are doing really really good for the for the industry so keep it going and um, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting no, no me. No problem. And whenever you want a second part, I'm totally up to totally, it. Totally, 100%. <laughs> on that bombshell, on that positive <laughs> end note, those yeah. positive bombshells. I enjoyed that ending, how, how we ended that on such a positive note. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for listening and watching, everyone. Don't forget, you can get 30% off your first year subscription to DistroKid using the Work in Audio Tools VIP link in the podcast show notes and YouTube video description. I'm not going to waffle, but it's been emotional. Subscribe, like, leave a review on all your podcast platforms. If you can, that'd really help us out, help with the algorithms and stuff. Share amongst your friends. Follow us on Instagram as well. And uh, we will see you in another week. Maybe with you're the next still episode. Going. Maybe Just end the totally podcast. You're, you're like me. My God, Ed, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Yeah, we'll see you again next week.